Hey, bookworms, do I have a deal for you? Right now, the Flight Attendant Joe series is available on Amazon, iTunes, Nook, and Kobo. That's fasten your seatbelts and eat your fucking nuts. Flight Attendant Joe and I'm Just Here for the Layovers, available on ebook and paperback. And here's a little secret that I don't want you to tell anyone, all right? This is just between us right now. Each ebook is only $2.99. I know, I know. But I did not fall and hit my head. I know exactly what I'm doing. And each one is $2.99 right now. The Flight Attendant Joe series, available on Amazon, iTunes, Nook, and Kobo. If you're looking for an inappropriate laugh, I've done all the work for you. All you have to do is sit back, read, and enjoy. If you enjoy listening to the Grounded with Joe Thomas podcast, please consider becoming a patron today. Visit www.patreon.com slash Grounded with Joe Thomas. There's multiple tier levels and each one of them comes with access to the Friday Debrief, which is a short little podcast episode I record on Friday mornings for patrons only. Of course, the podcast is always going to be free on all your podcast apps, but if you want to become a supporter and a patron of the podcast, you can. Just visit www.patreon.com slash grounded with Joe Thomas. Hey guys, Joe Thomas here. Are you like me? All summer long, I've been just anticipating and excited about the idea of traveling again. I just want to get out. I want to do something. I don't, when my husband asks me to go check the mail, I'm excited. Okay. I think just getting out of the house and doing something is the most exciting thing right now. I am so thrilled about the idea of being able to travel again that I'm planning my vacations out until 2025, just so I could look at them on a piece of paper and have something that I can look forward to. If you are right there too, and you're excited about travel, I want you to check out Robert and Edgar from the Getaway Guys. I have known Robert for over a decade, and he is very passionate about getting you the best deal for your vacation. They cater to airline employees, their parents, and airline retirees. And I don't know if you know this, but I am an airline retiree. And I'm going to be checking out their website when it's time for me to book my next vacation. They can get great low interline rates with no booking fee. No booking fee. Ladies and gentlemen, that means all that money that you would have been paying for a booking fee is just cash in your pocket, in your wallet, in your purse that you could spend when you're traveling and exploring and having the adventure of a lifetime. And LGBTQ plus travelers, I fall into that category as well. They're authorized sellers of Vakaya, Atlantis, and RSVP vacations. They're a one-stop shop. You could do everything on their website. Hotel, flights, car rentals, vacation packages. I want you to follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Getaway Guys Travel, and then go over to their website, thegetawayguys.com, and start looking for your next adventure because they're going to be there ready to book it for you. Again, that's thegetawayguys.com. Check them out now. Please do it. You deserve it. Hello, 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 and welcome to episode number 57 of Grounded with Joe Thomas. On the show today, Yvette Gentile called in to chat with me. Her and her sister, Rasha Pecorero, who's been a guest on this show, 
co-hosted the podcast Root of Evil, which was a companion podcast to the TNT show I Am the Night, which was based off their mom Fauna Hodel's book One Day She'll Darken. And Yvette and I chatted about how her life has changed since the podcast aired. We also talked about what it was like growing up in America biracial and how her parents prepared her for that. We chatted a lot about sharing stories and why aren't we talking to people who are different, communicating, sharing stories. It's how we all relate to each other. Then we talked about past lives, which was exciting. And we played a round of Let's Get Grounded, where I loved her answer very much. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Yvette to the show. Let's do it, baby. Yvette's on the show. Yvette, welcome. I'm so excited. I can't stand it. <laughs> oh my God. I'm so excited as well, Joe. Thank you for having me. You you know, I've had your sister on the show twice. She just keeps wanting, she just keeps texting me like, can I come back on? I'm like, I can't say no. No, no, no. I'm usually, I'm usually the one begging Rasha, please come on my show. I'm so lonely. Um, right, well, she's great because she can, she can go on and on and on and on. She loves, yeah. yeah, she's a really good communicator, but I've, um, but I'm now I'm excited because now I have the other Fauna Hodel daughter on my show and I don't know. I, I hope I am worthy of this because I'm very nervous. No, don't be nervous. Not at all. We're and, just two humans having a conversation, uh, a conversation about life that is, and our experiences. And that, that's the state of the world. If we could all do this more, we'd be in a better place. Abs Amen. What a great way to start this off. If we could all <laughs> communicate better, we would be in a better place. We really would. If we, <sighs> you know, if we took the time to hear each individual story, I mean, you cannot have compassion if you're fully invested in listening to someone's story. I mean, unless you're just, you know, I mean, there are those who are just, you know, you can't penetrate whatsoever. But I think majority of people, it's taken the time to listen and stop being in their head and trying to figure out what they're going to say next, if they would just take the time to listen Again, we'd be in a better place. Active, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Active listening because, you know, a lot of you're you're so right. Like, have you ever had a conversation or you're talking to someone, and then they're not even really listening to what you're saying, and you can actually see it in their face. They're waiting because they want to give you their opinion. Right. Yeah. Yes. All the time. All the time. I, I should not say all the time. I guess I've in my life I. Those type of people I kind of weed out of my life, you know, if you're not participating or you're not coming from a deep um, rooted place of listening and understanding, like I, I don't have time. I know that sounds very drastic, but it's so true. It's like I don't have time for, and I've always been like this since I was a kid. I don't know why. I do believe I, I am an old but if there's if there's drama and you're not willing to have a conversation about it then it's it, you have to move on do you find that hard to move on or are you at a point now where you're like no I, it's so comfortable now if you're going to bring drama and not want to talk about it i'm done i mean i i think um i guess it's like my mom you know growing up She'd always said, you know, if if you don't feel good about something or someone, don't do it or don't be involved. 
And that's kind of how I've lived my life. And my uncles, my uncles, John and Michael, I remember my, my uncle Michael telling me if there, if you sense a red flag, recognize it and know that more than likely it's not going to change. So it's up to you whether you want to continue to repeat the cycle or you want to move on. And so there's these little things all through my life that I've held on to and it worked pretty well for me. I like that. And I, I learn from that. That's why I do this podcast because that little bit of knowledge that has helped you throughout your life, I'm like, Oh, that's great. Cause I'm getting to that point in my life too, where if somebody it's kind of like this idea of like, if you, if somebody or a thing or the internet, social media, if something doesn't bring me joy, I mm. really just want to, you know, eliminate it from my life. And I was having this conversation with my husband the other day, cause I've, I've um, quit Twitter, I've quit Facebook. And now I'm like, well, what about Instagram? Um, does it bring <laughs> me joy? And it doesn't social media really doesn't bring me joy. So I'm at that point where I'm trying to figure out how do I, what was it like in 2007? How did I live? <laughs> before, right before all of this, before all of social media. That's right. interesting to say that because I have, I have always had a lovely relationship, you know, with social media. Like my sister, my sister is an open book, you know, she, <laughs> and that's how she's always been. My mother has been an open book in the sense of she always, you know, wanted to tell and share her story because it was so powerful and for bigger reasons, because she wanted to help the world come together. You know, that was, that was her main mission. And for me, I've always been more of the private one. I've always been the girl who is right in the moment. Like years ago, years ago, when I used to travel all the time and my my friends would think, oh, my God, why don't you take pictures? Why aren't you taking pictures? You're in, you know, you're in Chicago, you're in New York, you're doing this. And I was like, because I'm living, I'm, I'm, I'm living right in the moment. I don't need to take a photograph to remember this. Now, of course, you know, 2020, we're in a pandemic and I can't remember shit. <laughs> but, <laughs> you're like, let me I'm go back to my phone and look and see what I could find. Right. I know. I know. But I've always been like, oh. there's been a little bit of a struggle. and. So for me, like I do, I, I love Instagram. I love to like, from like looking at, you know, recipes or seeing what, you know, people are doing or wearing, but I just, I don't hold on to it. I'm not on, so on Facebook. I've never been on Twitter. I have no desire to be oh, on it's Twitter. Awful. It's whatsoever. awful. Yeah. So I, I 100% get what you're saying. And I do believe we all have to remember that, you know, joy is contagious. So you have to remember the things that bring you joy, that is what you want to gravitate to. So if social media, if Facebook, if Twitter, if Instagram, if it's, if it's pulling you down or pulling you into this cycle or making you envy of someone else's life, like get off of it and just start being in the moment of your life and enjoying that. It sounds so great. You know, it sounds so easy, but I think a lot of yeah. people, including myself, it's great. And that's what I want to do. That's, that's like the path that I'm on. It's like, if I have to eliminate social media, but I also realized, I think I'm addicted to social media. Well, of course. Yeah. Oh my God. I was just watching, um, on Netflix. Oh, social uh, dilemma. 
Oh my God. And when he said there are two, two type of users, there are drug users and then there are internet users. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hello, it's an addiction. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. I find myself, and this is why I want to go off Instagram. Well, now what I did was the other day I set my phone to only allow me on the app 30 minutes a day. Because Uh I was spending, like, you can go back and look, two and a half out. The other, I think Saturday, I was on Instagram for two and a half hours. Who the fuck needs to be on Instagram for two and a half hours? So here's a funny thing. Um, I'm going back to college in January. So I was, I went out for a walk the other morning and I was like, you know what? When January comes, I think I'm going to hire a housekeeper once a week to come. Cause I'm going to be full-time student and just, right, right. you know, my, my husband works full-time just to help out. And then I thought, whoa, if I'm spending two and a half hours a day on Instagram, I don't need a housekeeper. I need to get off Instagram so I can clean my damn house. Oh my God. I totally agree. Oh my God. That's so funny because, you know, after watching this documentary, I went to my, you know, my, um, the screensaver the time where it shows the time and mine said the same. It said I was on Instagram for like, you know, an hour and a half or two hours. And I'm like, what the in a day, oh I know it's. Oh my god! And and here's the funny thing is, there's probably we think two and a half, an hour and a half. To, that's so long. I I promise you, there are people out there that are on Instagram like five hours a day. Oh, of course. Of and course. Um, I just had this awakening, and I was just like, it doesn't do anything for me. Um, so I need to, and I'm kind of addicted because I'm the dude who will look on Instagram, put my phone down. I'm reading, say I'm reading a book and I'll look, mm-hmm. Oh, let me look at my phone. Okay. Nothing's happened of course. Cause it's been 10 seconds <laughs> and then I'll read a page and then I go to reach the phone again. And I'm like, Joe, nobody lo- cares about you that much. But it's all of us, Joe. It's like, it's, you know, it is an addiction, you know, and we can't, and we can't beat ourselves up about it, you know, but I think, I think you just have to, to take breaks, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. because we all, it's, you know, it's such a connection. It's like, I like to see, you know, what my sister is doing, you know, more than anything. It's like my family, like, what is my family doing, you know, in Hawaii or in LA or in New York? Like you just, you want to feel connected, you know, and then of course it becomes an ad- addiction because it's a spiral of, everybody's life story on there. So I think we just have to give ourselves, you know, a little pause when we feel necessary to, to break away from it, you know, and just say, you know what? Okay. This weekend, you know, when I go to Napa or I go out of town, like I'm, I'm, I'm just going to put my phone away. Mm. I'm just going to put it away. But we're so programmed. It's like, we want to take pictures. We want to post where we are. We want to show our food. You know, it's like, you know, it's like a a drug. Yeah. It's, hello. (laughs) In that, in that social dilemma show, they tell you, they explain to you how it triggers that thing in our brain, like slot machines where you keep scrolling, you keep scrolling up something. Oh, good. Somebody liked my thing. It's, it's that same feeling in your brain. And I found that to be fascinating. Yeah. Me, me as well. Me as well. And now they make billions of dollars, you know, just by the things that you like. And I mean, I, I started shopping on Instagram. Okay. And that's a bit of an addiction, you know. I'm I love fashion and it's like, "Oh, look at that. Oh, look at this." And especially during oh, the pandemic. Oh, I've done. Okay, yeah. I've actually bought a like you're talking about like when they show you an ad and you're like, "Oh, that's cute." 
Yeah, but yes. for me, it's mostly it's clothing. You know, yeah. it's like, oh my god, that looks so cute on her. Oh my, I love that. Oh, that top is so cute. Oh, that dress is so cute. But so, at, least, yeah. at least you're doing it like you're shopping though. Like when I'm on there, I'm not doing anything. Like I'm just wasting time looking at other people and their lives. And I'm like, why am I, why am I doing this? So, um, but I also think this year has been so screwed up that it is just changed every, the way we do everything. So, you know, we can't go out and see people. So maybe we are on social media more because it's like, oh, I can't go see my friend. I can't go do this because I can't go anywhere. Well, yeah, 100%. I mean, and we have to think about too, you know, going through and being in this pandemic, if it wasn't for social media and everyone having to be home on lockdown, all we had was our phone and the television. So for a lot of people, you know, they would have been, you know, traveling the world, doing what they do and not seeing all the injustice that has been going on in the world for years and years. So, you know, there's a yin and a yang to everything, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, I think more people were and are aware of, you know, what is happening in the world because of, because of social media. So it's, you know, it's the good and the bad, the pros and the cons, it's, you know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, yeah, and I'm and I think that's where I'm at. I'm trying to find a balance, which, you know, that's what we try to find with every aspect of our lives. I want to find a balance. Work, life, yeah. you know, social media where I'm not spending two and a half hours and need to pay for a housekeeper when I could just be off my phone <laughs> and scrub my own toilet. I mean No. It's I so know. ridiculous. So ridiculous. Yeah. And that that is the key, Joe, is it's finding that balance. You know, I've been doing yoga for, gosh, half my life. And without that, like, that has helped ground me. So I try to get up, you know, in the morning and I'm just on a mission. Like I have my juice and then I have my coffee and then I try to sit and meditate. Like, even if it's for 5, 10, 15 minutes and not go directly to my phone, mm -hmm. just so I can set an intention like for the day and then go from there and not just um, directly to my phone. And for me, for my husband and I, like we, ne we've never taken our phones in the bedroom. Oh, that's, that's such a good rule. Oh yeah. That's a good rule. Don't bring our phones into the room ever. And I think that is been a lifesaver as well because you, you have to detach from it. So yeah, you got to have your own self. Cause I think, yeah. I think when we're on social, when everyone's on social media so much, they, they're not, they're not them. They can't even be themselves cause they're so involved in what everyone's doing. And our brains are not set up to be able to manage 4,000 followers. Like I can't keep up with the people that I know in real life. <laughs> I know. I know. But can you imagine though, the people that have like, you know, millions and millions of followers, well, yeah, they're, they're probably mostly just on send though. Like they're not like I, for some reason, Kim Kardashian comes to mind because I just read an article about her, but you know, I'm sure she's not on there. Like, let me see what randos are just doing. Like, no, she's like a send, like she just posts things and then moves on with her life. And it's people like me who are like, I have to live in this app. <laughs> so. But I'm, I'm 
think those. I think everybody, though, believe it or not, whether you have two thousand or a million, you're definitely. You may not be liking anything, but you're definitely stalking social social media. I'm sure. I'm yeah, sure. I, I agree. <laughs> sure. That's so, so true. Um, so I don't know if you know this, but the first time I ever heard about you and your sister and your lovely mom, Fauna Hodel, was mm. um, in April of 2019, my sister-in-law came to visit us in California because we used to live in the Bay Area. My husband and I used to live down in Sunnyvale. And it kills me now to know that you live in San Francisco and I missed you. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh, it hurts a little bit. But um, but we were going camping and my sister-in-law was like, oh, my God, have you watched I Am The Night on TNT? And I was like, no. She's like, well, we're going to watch it tonight, all the episodes. And then tomorrow on our road trip, we're going to listen to the podcast Root of Evil. Holy shit. And I was like, this is a lot of information, Sarah. What do I do with this? So we watched the show and then we watched the companion podcast, which stars you and your sister, Rasha. And I fell in love with, of course, I fell in love with you and your sister, but I fell in love with your mom. Yeah. Because... I just like, I don't even know Fauna Hodel. I've never met her. I always joke with your sister and say, if your mom was alive today, she would love me. And she's like, she would. She would. Now, she let definitely. me, because she was such an inspiration, and we're going to def, I definitely have so many questions about this. But have you, do you go through days like 2020, such a rough year? Do you ever think, like, if mom was alive, what would she tell me? Like, how would she be processing this? And does that help you? Gosh, you know, it's, in the beginning of this, it's like I, I kept hearing stories, you know, of people like just going cuckoo because they were, you know, with their family, quarantined with their family. And I was like, God, what I wouldn't give, you know, to have my mother here, you know, with us right now because her, her words of wisdom, her encouragement would be, you know, this too shall pass. Even in the midst of all this, she would be so positive, you know, and, and letting us know that it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. I may not have all the answers right now, but just know you are divinely blessed and protected and it's going to be all right. She was just the brightest light on the planet. Um, because of where she came from, you know, and the ups and downs and the tragedies and the, the hardship that she had, she just, she never held on to, to fear for very long. It was definitely, it was there, but somehow she knew, she, she knew how to process it and move through it. So if she were here, she would, I mean, my mom would be like, God damn it. Why is this, what is, you know, this shit is happening again. You know, I, right. I lived through this back then. Like I, I can't believe we're going through it again, you know? Um, and in the same breath, she would be so proud of, you know, what people are standing up for and protesting against, you know, for change, you know, for humanity. And my mom always stood for humanity. You know, my mom was from a very young age. She wrote, don't judge me by the color of my skin, but by the color of my heart. And my mom led her life, 
that entire, you know, her entire journey while she was here on this earth. So I go through, both Rosh and I go through <clears throat> severe ups and downs of, you know, feeling truly blessed to have been raised by this this beautiful, powerful, positive woman and then tremendous sadness that she's not here, you know, riding this out with us. Um, so I don't know if that answered your question, but. Well, but she was such an inspiration, like her, yeah. for, for the listeners who don't know her story, of course, you can always pick up her book, Fauna Hodel, One Day yeah. She'll Darken. And she grew up um, in Sparks, Nevada, um, believing she was a person of color when she was white. Right. She was believing, she believed that she was biracial because on her birth certificate, it said that the father was Negro. So who in their right mind, you know, would lie mm -hmm. and put, you know, your father is Negro. So she grew up, you know, in a black community with black friends, um, black relatives and fitting in. And those, there were those that loved her immensely. And then there were those that, you know, judged her on the color of her skin. They didn't think either. she was dark on, enough. On, yeah. Right. Yeah. And on both sides, you know, so she was constantly fighting that, but she was always, you know, in her core family. I mean, Jimmy was, you know, Jimmy was something else. She stresses you, me out. <laughs> she, as you all, I mean, she was, you know, my grandmother, she was an alcoholic. She drank straight gin. Um, twenty four seven. But then there are moments, you know, when she wasn't drinking, where she was, she was a good, she was good. You know, it's underneath all that scarred bitterness. There was, there was real love there, you know. But you can't get to that. You can't hold on to that real love if you're intoxicated twenty four seven. You know, nor can you give it in the appropriate way. So. Yes, it was a struggle for my mom, and my mom got pregnant with me, uh, you know, when she was 15. She had me when she was 16 on August 1st, and I was born, she turned 16 on August 1st, 1951, and I was born on August 7th. Mm -hmm. So when she had me, this little brown baby, I was everything that she wanted to be. You know, and to fit in on on both sides of the spectrum. So it's interesting because Rasha and I, I don't think this made it on the podcast, but while we were going through storage, we came across you know so many different journals and poems my mom had written, and she had written a poem about you know the night my her and my father had you know made love, and then she got pregnant, and then she has this little baby, you know, this little brown baby. And in that poem, it said something like, well, how unfair, you know, that, that I have lived my life, you know, fighting to be black because on my birth certificate, it says, it says that my father's Negro, mm -hmm. but I'm not. And then I have this child, you know, so it, it was real emotional for me to read that. And then, and at the same time, like my mother showered me with so much love um, that was was more powerful than anything for me because 
even though I am biracial, my mom and my dad never sat down and said, like, as I was growing up, well, you know, you may have a hard time because, you know, your father is, is black and I'm white and, you know, kids may tease you, they may call you this, they may call you that. My parents never had that conversation with me, ever, hmm. ever. So I never, I never had that on my shoulder. I was raised in, you can be and do whatever it is you want to be. You're beautiful. You're this, you're that. So I never carried the weight of any of that on my, on my back. So if I did get teased, I, I shrugged it off. Like if I got called zebra or, or whatever I got called, like I, for some reason I was just very well grounded and just thought, well, I, I know I look better than you. Like I just, in my head as a child, you know, I remember thinking these things and my mother was very, very smart and taking us away from, you know, moving away from San Diego and raising and raising me in Hawaii, where Hawaii is a melting pot. It's a chop suey of everything. And people didn't know what I was. Mm. Um, so she, she just, she instilled so much uh, confidence and power in both my sister and I that we were always taught never to judge anybody by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And that's how we were raised. And that's, and, and, and the reason we were raised like that is because of my mother's story. And if you get the book, one day you'll, one day she'll darken, you'll understand, you know, what she went through, um, you know, believing that she was biracial. And then years later, meeting her real mother in Hawaii and finding out that that was all a lie. Right. And then picking up the pieces, trying to figure out her identity all over again. And still being a, as you said, an inspiration and a light and a powerful force all through that journey. Oh yeah. Like, I've said this to your sister, the, 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 I can't even get out the words. Like the idea that your mom could go through that, the, her entire story to go through that and come out the other end, not completely fucked up, pardon my language, um, yeah. is, is a testament to how strong of an individual she is. Yeah, absolutely. Truly, like, such truly, an inspiration. I mean, just, she was, you know, she was ahead of her time. Like I, I always say my mother came into this world an angel and she left an angel. She, she just, you know, if you met my mom, I don't care what walk of life you came from, what color you were, what religion, and you were sitting next to her on a plane or, you know, in a restaurant or you just met her, like she would have changed your life in that moment for the better just by being in her presence because she would have, First of all, she would have probably would have started. She would have started talking about her story, which would have led into, you know, whatever your story would have been, mm -hmm. and she would have given you some type of wisdom where you would feel like you could conquer and do and be anything that you wanted to be. She just had that. She had that power. She had that 
presence. And even though my mom, you know, my mom was a single mom, you know, like holding it down, doing the best that she knew how to do. And it wasn't always easy. But she never, never, ever, like, assumed to come to fear or resentment or why me? Like, she just consistently persevered. Mm -hmm. Consistently. You could not get my mom down. And, you know, she. some of her friends were like, oh, my God, Fauna, like, really? <laughs> like, aren't you mad? <laughs> you know? Right, like, right. Yeah, like, get course, pissed off. Right, yeah. You know, and, she, and she would get pissed off, but she would not hold on to it, you know, because that's what, that's really what eats away at people is holding on to the fear and to anger and, you know, to anxiety. Like, my mom somehow knew how to, process it. And my mom was a deep believer in God and faith and, you know, prayers and, and good juju and, mm -hmm. um, and all the, you know, powerful entities on the planet. Like she just, she was beyond her time. Right. Really beyond her time. Well, I'm, she changed me and I don't even know her. So just from I, her story. Yeah. It's that powerful. Yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm sorry. Yeah. It, it really is. I mean, I have, you know, dear friends that, you know, look at my mom as, as their mother because the things that she, you know, spoke to them about and instilled in their heart, like, is they're in such deep gratitude, you know, of just knowing Fauna Hodel. Right. And I remember you know, early on when my, my mom, um, when my mom passed away and was the first time I'd ever gone to therapy. And I remember the first therapist, you know, talking to her and telling her, you know, the story and everything that happened. And, and she was just blown away. She's like, you know, as I sit here and I listen to you, I said, she said, I, I, I feel like, you know, there's so many people that have gone through, like have lost loved ones in such traumatic ways. And not to say that, you know, this wasn't traumatic the way that you and your sister lost your mother, but the, the, the love that she, she, uh, instilled in you and Rasha is so beautiful. Like you have to, you have to, in your deepest sadness, like you have to hold on to that, you know? And at the time, like that's so I, yes, I know that, but at, you know, you're so emotional that, you know, she's not here. And so even though it's a roller coaster of emotions and it'll be throughout the rest of our lives, we are so blessed that we had that type of love. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm very jealous. I've said this to your sister, too. I'm jealous of the relationship you guys had with your mom because and I think that could be why some people who had really bad moms, you know, gravitate towards Fauna. Or even if we right. didn't know her, gravitate towards her her being and her story and her strength. Because, you know, for us who, like for me, example, my relationship with my mom was not, my mom should not have been a mom, but I'm glad she at least had me. <laughs> right. Thankfully, right? right? But um, 
you know, when I think of your mom, I think of, and I, and I want to talk more about you, of course, but I just think your mom had this really interesting situation where she was able to find herself twice. Yeah. Like, yeah. like you said, like she, she was born and raised believing she was biracial. Then she finds out she's not, and she has, all, that's who she is. She's biracial young woman in Nevada. And then she mm -hmm. has another experience where no, actually I'm, I'm white. Now I have to find out who I am as a white person. And I find that to be so fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and yeah. And it, again, it was quite the journey because it's like somebody taking, you know, a, an ax or whatever to a crystal ball or, and smashing it into a trillion pieces and trying to, you know, pick yourself up and put it all back together again. You know, it, it, mm -hmm. it was a constant, uh, constant journey, co constant learning experience, you know, and, and thinking about you, you know, and, and your experience, like with your mother, it's like, you know, everybody, you're, 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 um, you're born with, you know, these parents, you know, whether they're, they're good, the bad, the mm -hmm. ugly, but then you find if that is not working for you, like hopefully there are, you find other family members, you know, friends and family that help raise you, right? you know, that you, that show you love. Right. There's always going to be people that'll love you. Sometimes you might have to dig a little deeper or, or really find out who those people are, but they're there. They're there. I do believe that. Yeah. 100%. There's a, there's a picture of you and your mom in her book. One day she'll darken. Um, it's, mm -hmm. it's when you were on your second birthday, it was in Reno in 1969. You're adorable. And you're sitting on her <laughs> lap. Do you know which picture I'm talking about? Yes. She's yes, got yes. that fabulous sixties hairstyle, which I love. Right. You said that she didn't, you know, her and your dad, her and your dad, yeah. Your mom and your dad didn't really talk to you about race issues, but how, do you remember being at that moment where you like, wait a minute, I am much darker than my mom. Is there something going on that I don't know? No, I, I never, I never had that. I never thought, I, I, again, I never, I never remember even thinking those thoughts and especially like about my father, like I never thought, oh, well, my father is really dark, you know, and my mom is white and, and I'm like this little brown girl. I, I didn't, I just remember, like in that picture, when I look at that picture, like my mom said I was such a happy baby. Like I was always laughing. Like I really had an amazing childhood, you know, early on. My dad, who is from Selma, Alabama. Oh, wow. He and his brothers and sisters, you know, he came, uh, you know, to the States. He came to Reno, Nevada. My dad was a, a painter. Uh, all of his brothers actually are, you know, either painters, upholstery, um, mechanics. Like they, they had a craft. But my dad was a hard worker. And I just remember, I don't remember early, early on, but I remember they lived in a small apartment and then my dad worked his way up and we ended up, my dad bought a house. My dad, you know, we had all custom furniture. My dad bought my mom 
the first car, which was a, a Datsun, um, <laughs> uh, a Datsun Z something, I can't think of, but it was like a sports car stick and him teaching my mom how to drive. And I, re- I remember like loving my father so intensely and waiting for him to come home and, and being together as a family. I, I don't remember, I don't remember ever feeling different. I always just felt special, you know, and it wasn't until my mom and dad divorced and we ended up moving to San Diego. And shortly after my mom remarried, he met, she remarried another black man and he was an engineer. He worked for Mr. Lear and he was kind of like the best way that I could describe him. He was like a, like a, I mean, I hate to say it now, but my God, but and like a Bill Cosby, you know, like he wore sweaters and mm-hmm. he smoked pipe and he was, you know, very affluent and um, educated. But there was something odd about him. Like he taught me a lot of things. He taught me how to play chess. He taught me how to play tennis. But there was something untouchable with him. I can't quite pinpoint it to this day. But my mom was with him you know, for two years. And I just remember being devastated that my father was no longer there. Mm-hmm. And my dad would come and visit and, you know, take me out and spend time with me, which was great because I still saw him. But then in the midst of, you know, all of this, and at, and at this time, I'm like seven, eight around there. My mom is digging deeper into the mystery of, you know, finding her biological family and her biological mother ended up being in Hawaii. So we take that journey to Hawaii. And when we go to Hawaii and relocate there, I like, I lose contact with my father. Okay. And that for me was the hardest thing ever was moving to Hawaii and being away from my father. It was like, I had moved like to the moon and I didn't speak to my father for, for 16 years. Okay. So, um, yeah, but to, to answer your question, going back to my childhood, I, I never, I never felt different. I didn't feel different in the sense, or I felt different in the sense, like when I got to Hawaii and as I got older, becoming more of a teenager, and like I would go on auditions and I was told that, well, you're not black enough or you're too exotic or you're not commercial enough. I think that's when I started to feel like disappointed that I wasn't like I couldn't fit into one particular mold. Right. And and that's where I started to feel a little different. That makes sense to you. <laughs> yeah, no, it does. I'm currently, oh, I'm sorry, my chair. I'm currently listening to um, Mariah Carey's new book. Um, it's called The Making mm-hmm. of Me. And I'm listening to the audiobook because she reads it. And I found that I can't listen to audiobooks if the author isn't reading the book. I don't know. I'm weird. And um, <laughs> she, you know, she's biracial and she talks a lot. She's talking a lot about when she was younger, her mom was white, her dad was black, and she knew it. And I th- just from, listening to her talk and listening to you talk, I think it has to do with the fact that instead of your mom telling you like, Yvette, you're different. She was like, you're special. 
you know, I mm-hmm. think with uh, with many other biracial people, it's like, all right, you're different and you might be asked these questions and this is your dad and this is your mom. And but your mom and it's probably because of her history yeah. raised you to believe like it doesn't matter. Like like the it's so right. funny. You said that quote she wrote in the 60s and I have it written down right here. Judge me yeah. by the color of my heart, not by the color of my skin. Right. Um, so, yeah, I find that fascinating. Right. And it, it, it all, I mean, it, it's how it's, I know I find it fascinating myself, you know, but my mom, she didn't want, I guess, because she got tired of, you know, not fitting in with, you know, the blacks or not fitting in with the whites. She got so tired of all that, that she didn't want her children to be categorized, you know? And so she just was like, you're beautiful, no matter what you're smart, no matter what, like she didn't, she didn't emphasize that, you know, like when I would, you know, when you go to school and there's all these questions and, you know, it's like, what nationality are you are? Like for a long time, I'm like always checking black and white and other. Mm-hmm. And there was a phase that I, I, I checked, um, you know, just black and other, like <laughs> my mom hated for us to categorize ourselves, right. you know, and I, and I, but now as you look at, it, I mean, we, accept, we, we loved everybody. My mom loved, you know, every nationality, 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 and she celebrated culture, but she just didn't want you to feel boxed in, you know? So she never put, she never put that pressure or emphasized, you know, well, you know, this may happen to you because of that, this or this, and neither did my father. And I've had conversations with my father. I just went on a road trip with my father mm-hmm. and asked him the same thing. And he's like, no, we never did. And he said, you know, I, I've always gotten along with all types of people. And that's how my dad has always lived his life. Not to say that he, you know, had hard times because yes, he has. But as far as, as you know, um, sitting me down and saying, you know, this may happen, that may ha- happen to you. They never had that conversation with me, and 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 for that reason, I feel like I've I've always lived my life where I could walk into any environment, whether it be all white, all black, all Latino, all Asian, all whatever and feel comfortable in my own skin. And that's how my husband is. My, I married, my husband's Italian Mm -hmm. and he is the same way. We can go to Jamaica. We can go to Italy. We, we want to go to Alabama. Like he's like, I want to go. Like he can go into any environment and, and, and show kindness and respect, you know, and, and, and get along with everybody. Right. That is not, that is not the case, you know, for everybody because people don't have the same mentality. Well, you know, they don't, many people, and I I hate speaking in hyperbole, but yeah, you're right. Many people can't do that because they don't respect each other. We a lot of people don't respect each other as human beings. Exactly. It's like, Oh God, I can't go like, like I would be the first one. Like if, if all my black friends got together and they were having a party and they're like, do you think Joe's going to come? They would be like, of course, Joe's coming. Like if we don't invite him, he's going to, and, and I think it has to do with respecting human beings. And 
it's almost like a lost art or has it even ever happened? You know, um, cause it's, you know, it, I don't want to be like no hope for the world, but you know, you and your husband having that mentality is what more people need. Yeah. Is like, yeah. who cares what, who cares what color your skin is? My husband always makes this joke of, or not joke, but he always says this thing about like, Everyone is always so interested. Everyone always wants to point out everyone's differences. If we all looked alike, say we all, and the only thing that was different with us was we, some people had bigger ears than other people. Then mm -hmm. it would be, oh, the big eared people, they're the worst people. They're trying to take your health care. Like it would just, it's just, it's just a constant thing with humanity, I think. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an ignorance you know, is what it is, you know, and if we could all just, again, like I said, at the beginning of the conversation, if we could all sit down and get out of our own way and listen to one another's story and, and have a continual conversation, it would be, I mean, we would have so much, it would be, it, it would just, I find it would be, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, so much more tolerance, you know, and understand. Um, but when you're so stuck on your way or the highway, there's no, there's no open conversation, right? You know, to, to, to speak how you feel and listen, you know, because everybody's experience is so different. So vastly different. Right. And if we all took the time to sit down and talk and hear each other's stories, we would realize that we're all pretty much the same. We yeah. all deal with the same bullshit every single day. Um, but I think right now there's just this eruption of hate where people are really grasping onto the things that they think, oh, it's different. It must be something. If it's different, I'm afraid of it. It's not me. I don't want to learn about it. And, and then when you break down that communication, like you said, you're not going, you're, you're not going to get to a good place. No, I, I, no. I, I totally agree with that. You said, you stop, go ahead. I'm sorry. When you stop talking and you stop communicating, you know, things die, you know, when the conversation stops, it's like it's everything just comes to a standstill. It's like two bulls, you know, at each other. Yeah, it's it's definitely yeah. um, we're definitely at a breaking point, I believe, with um, with how we are with each other in this country specifically. So we're going to see what happens. But um, I love that your husband is Italian. I'm half Italian. I just found that oh, out three years ago. And I love that yeah. he has the same mentality I have. Like, yeah, I'll go anywhere. I don't care. Yeah. I yeah. Don't care. I'll yeah. figure I'll figure it out. My husband is uh, a shoe repairman. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, it's funny because he is my soul man. <laughs> Literally and figuratively. <laughs> That's cool. He, um, yeah, he comes from a generation of cobblers and wow. he has been doing shoe repair like since he was a child and, uh, that's what he does. And it's funny that as much as I love shoes, I married, you know, a cobbler and a soulman. <laughs> that's crazy. Does he ever fix any of your shoes? 
Uh, um, hello, Joe. Come on. <laughs> um, you know, I'm just now imagining like you're like, we live in the city, but we also have a place for my shoes. <laughs> and that, the fact that he fixes shoes, you do, which is amazing. Oh, my God. Yes, yes, yes. But yeah, again, going back, that's one of the reasons why I fell in love with him is, you know, he he can speak with anybody and everybody. and. That uh, is a beautiful thing. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's definitely something to go on a set. Like if if that's the guy you meet and you figure that out on the first night at dinner, you're like, oh yeah, this is a second date. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're not a lunatic. You're not a lunatic. Second date. I, I know, but it wasn't quite like that. I was actually brought to San Francisco. I had worked for North Beach Weather for years, modeled and traveled with them all over. And they had downsized and they opened a store. Well, they had a store here in, in San Francisco and they had called to bring me in to, to work the season. But they didn't have as much money as they used to. And normally they would put me up in hotel, hotels and pay my per diem. And this time they're like, well, we're going to rent a room in this in Gino's apartment. And I'm like, um, well, who's Gino? And, <laughs> and, and, these guys have known me for many, many years, like since I was like 17. So I, I trusted their judgment and they, they told him that there's, you know, they were like, there's this girl coming in. You got to, you got to get deodorant. You got to clean your carpet. You got to paint your apartment. You got to do all the shit to make sure it's right. And, um, so anyhow, they rented a room in his apartment. So we were just roommates. And of course the, the very first day that I, I came to San Francisco and I went into the apartment, I was like, oh, hell no, I am not here." <laughs> so you were a model and they put you up, they just rented a room in somebody's house. They, well, they knew Gino. It wasn't just like some random stranger. Oh, okay, good, okay. <laughs> and, and other people from the company, North Beach Leather, they would rent rooms and put them there as well. So... They were bringing me in for the season, so just for three months. It was like October, November, December, and and rented a room. And I would work in the store and do the fashion shows as well, and then do the catalog. Mm. And so that's how I met Gino. Um, and you know, to make a, a long story longer, like I said, the very next day I was like, I am not staying here. It smells. It's a bachelor's pad. Like I want to leave. I can't do it. And so the, the guys were like, okay, well, just give it two weeks. Just, you know, just let it, just see how it goes. Two it weeks. Two That's a long right. time when you didn't even want to spend one night. I don't. <laughs> I'm already like looking for new places and, and, and I said, okay, well, I'll give it one week, Joe. I'll give it one week. And then of course it's like, you know, was just like, he was so kind. He was so generous. Like, I walked all over this city. Like I didn't, you know, get on, I don't do public transportation. I would walk everywhere and he would be like, well, you know, I'll pick you up. I'll drop you off and I'll go to a movie with you. And like, I'll bring you some of my, you know, mother's like home cooking. And he just was this amazing person. Oh, he was smitten. He was smitten. Yeah. And it was funny though, because I was like, he's not my type. Like I'm not, and my girlfriends in LA, they were like, okay, he's Italian. He has green eyes. He's not your type. I'm like, no, he's just not my type. They're like, what's wrong with you? 
They're like getting ready to drive up to San Francisco. Like, where's this rundown apartment that smells? Because I'll move in. Oh my god! <laughs> like, right? settle down, ladies. Settle so, down. So settle when down. so you were a model when you you mentioned doing auditions. Would you go to audition for roles, or was it just for like stills and uh, modeling? Well, in Hawaii at the time, I was going. I was doing auditions for modeling, and then I also was in pageants. When I, I should say a pageant. Um, the, it was a preliminary pageant to the Miss Hawaii pageant and I was first runner up there. So I started early. That was like, I should say when I was 16, I was going to do the Miss Black Teenage Hawaii pageant. Mm -hmm. And I remember them telling me like, well, you're not black enough. Something came up in that like that. And I was like, and that was when I was going through that phase of, like I said earlier, not not fitting in, fitting right. in either black enough to not, you know, I was too exotic or I wasn't commercial enough. So anyhow, I, I ended up doing that pageant. I didn't place in the Miss Black Teenage Hawaii pageant. And then years later, I did the preliminary pageant to Miss Hawaii. I was first runner up and I was like, I was so devastated that I didn't win. Like I had won swimsuit, evening gown, and I interview, I won the interview, which was more important than anything. And my two uncles who are gay, like taught me everything that I knew about everything. And the fact that I didn't win, I was just like, ah! and I had my talent was a dramatic, um, I did a dramatic uh, reading about my grandfather who was a shine man. So my mother's adopted father, Homer, Mm-hmm. with a shoe shine and, and I did this poem that my mother wrote and it was amazing and there was not a dry eye in the house and um but the girl that won did hula and oh. I was like oh, uh, you know so I I was like I'm never doing a pageant again but it was it was a great learning experience and I'm so I'm so very thankful that I did it and then I went on to do a lot of um, runway. So oh wow, that's a, well, that does not shocking. You're beautiful, so that makes perfect sense to me. And then I, when I left Hawaii, um, because for like catalog stuff, they kept telling me that I, I wasn't commercial enough. I wasn't this. I wasn't that. And I was just like, I felt so defeated. And finally, when I left and I moved. I didn't move, but I went on vacation to to Oregon, where my uncles had moved to, and um, they got me hooked up with an agency right away, and I became, like, the top commercial girl, like, working for Fred Meyer, for Macy's, for Nike. Nike was my bread and butter for years, doing, like, runway, traveling around the world with them, and doing print work. So, you know, it just goes to show, like, you can't, you just can't hold on to stuff. You can't take it personal because even though you may not be someone else's cup of tea somewhere else, you know, someone will see something in you that they like. Right. So, um... But that's, oh, yeah. yeah, that's awesome though, because if you would have just stayed, if you would have listened to the people in Hawaii, you might not have had that 
opportunity and experience like you got when you came to the mainland where they were like, oh, yeah, because, you know, they're like, oh, you're not commercial enough. You're not black enough. You're not this. And then you come to Oregon and they're like, oh, you're exactly what we're looking for. Yeah, it's just you never know, you know, and at the time, you know, in Hawaii, like the market was, you know, there was all the Japanese that were coming in. So, you know, they were focused more like on blonde, blue eyed. And, you know, it, it's just it, it was just the times. It was nothing, you know, it was nothing personal against me. But, uh, you know, as a, a young girl, you're just feeling like, OK, well, where do I where do I fit in? And then you go somewhere else and you soar. So. You know, you just you just always have to to keep an open mind and not hold on to things because even though you may get go on an audition and you feel like you've nailed it and you you know you've done everything perfect and then you don't get it and you're like why 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 mm -hmm. like you just you can't in my experiences through the years you can't hold on to it you just have to move on to the next. Right. Yeah. Because if you, if it, you know, you're going to get so many no's and if you let them control you, you'll never get anywhere. You say, Oh no. What? Okay. Next person, next person. Yeah. Yeah. So when you were, yeah. when you were in Hawaii, I'm, I'm curious when, so you're in Hawaii and they're telling you you're not black enough. You're not commercial. Do you ever think like, Oh my God, do you, do you get frustrated and angry that you are not all black or all white? Does being biracial at that point, um, like, do you, are you angry at that? Or is it just like, well, this is just the way it is. And I got to figure it out. I think I, I, I wasn't angry, but I think there was a part of me, there was a, a sadness, like, okay, well, why am I not fitting in? I don't think I, I didn't take it as, as anger, but I think I just, I felt rejected. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that there are times that like I would go on an audition and I was already like, self-defeated even before I got there because I thought the outcome would be, well, you're not this, you know, and not to say that I didn't get auditions because there are those that I did, but I didn't, it wasn't anger. I think it was more of, um, I just, I felt rejected, you know, and it, it wasn't until, um, you know, I started booking more things that I thought, okay, well, you know, I'm, you know, it's okay. I don't have to be for everybody. You know, someone, someone or some company or, uh, you know, someone will appreciate what I, what I bring to the table. Right. And but I, that's a anger, great, go ahead. But anger wasn't it. Well, that's good. That's good. Cause I, and you know, cause my first thought is, you know, you're being told this, like if I was, you know, I'm Italian and French. And if they were like, oh, we don't want any Italians. I would be like, damn it. Why am I not all French? <laughs> but, you know, there's, there's times though. So when I say defeated, it's like, okay, well, I remember there were, I would like always look at my nose when I was younger. And I was like, mom, is my nose too big? Do you think my nose is too big? Like, you know, should I get my nose done? Like, so there was that. I think for me, it was there, there was a slight insecurity, you know, for moments, but I, but I, I got over it. It didn't, I never held on to anything that was, I don't know where that comes from, you know, in my spirit, but I didn't hold on to things. It's like, I just moved on to the next. That's a very powerful quality to have. You probably got that from your mom because, I, you know, I definitely. 
Yeah. yeah. Like I, your mom I, couldn't be one of those people that held on to things. She was like, all right, yep, that's the way it is. Now I got to figure out the next step. Yep. And that's exactly who I get it from. Yep. 100%. On your Instagram page, I told you yesterday when we chatted, I stalked you a little bit. You, um, <laughs> You've posted a photo on June 10th of this year. Your hair is done up. You've got a seashell necklace. You look fine as hell. And you look like you should be like playing the synthesizer for Prince in the, like, like when I looked at that picture, I was like, she looks like she should be like, be it in the Prince and the revolution singing. Let's get crazy. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's so perfect. Okay. What is your question? What is your question? Okay. <laughs> oh, um, my chance. Well, you wrote, you wrote this, you wrote, I am a biracial woman, a proud Afro Island, tropical blend, American woman for years. That, I, go ahead. Well, that's the step right there. So I, the <laughs> first part, I wrote, but the, the next part was written by uh, an actress, um, Grace Byers, who was on empire. And oh, yeah. so I, I reposted that, which it says at the bottom, but I so identified with the words that that she wrote. So there, I just want to make that clear. Oh, thank you. No, thank you very much. And then, and then you continued when you shared it, it says for years, I hid my shine and coerced myself out of my worth, making myself small or in, inconsequential seemed to cause less waves. And I didn't want a ripple effect. Are you, are you still cautious of making waves today? Or are you the kind of person that just jumps in to see what happens? I've, I've always been the person that was like, don't walk, don't skip, just run. So it is like, if you, if you want to do something, do it. And if you want to say something, say it. I've never been the person to not speak my mind. And, and, um, I've always been, yeah, I've always been very outspoken when I think back of like growing up and in situations, I think my sister spoke to you about her father and, oh, yes. and he and I were, you know, he was in my life at an early age and he and I went head to head and I was never the child that sat in the corner and cried. I was always the child that was like in your face and saying things way beyond my years. Um, that I really shouldn't have been in the situation to say. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I'm always going to speak my mind, period, point blank, get to the point. Right. You know, it's... um it's just this fire that you have, right? That, that you're like, no, I'm not going to just let things sit. I'm going to speak my mind and I'm just going to let you know how I feel. And if you don't like it, I'm not responsible for your emotions. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, life is too short. Life is too short. We have to say what we need to say when we need to say it, you know, and, um, and surround ourselves with like-minded people that, you know, respect us and we respect one another. But I, yeah, I, 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 and I never would want to dim anybody's light and nor would I want them to dim mine. Well, you shine so bright, honey. I don't think anybody's going to dim your light. And if they try, please let me know and take a video of it and send it to me because I would love to watch 
to watch that. But do you think that, you know, do you think that somebody is born with that? And if they're not like that fire to say, no, I'm going to speak my mind. I'm not going to let you get away with abusing me verbally or anything like that. Do you think that's something that people can learn or is it like, no, it's just inside me. It's just inside you. And if you don't have it, um, you're, I don't know what I you're going to do. I think it's both Joe. I really think it's both. I think there are those people that are, that are born with it. And then I think there are those that have to learn it. And I think there are those that never learn it. So I think it's a combination of both things. I mean, I do believe in, you know, I'm a spiritual person. I, I do believe in old souls. And I feel like, for me, I feel like there's, you know, some people that have walked this earth a few times, a few times around. And so there's that substance um, that they, they are innate with. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I feel that way about myself. I feel like I was in another life. I feel like I was a like an old shaman or a, a pharaoh at one time mm-hmm. that had this immense wisdom um, that I carry with me. But I also feel like my mother was Wonder Woman, you right. know, yeah. <laughs> instilled incredible strength uh, and integrity in my spirit. So, Do, so I you, you really think, no. so I, um, I don't know if I believe in reincarnation, but I will say this, I probably have been around a long time. I yeah. feel the same as you. Like I have this old soul and there's yeah. certain parts there's, I love that you brought this up. I'm so excited because there's certain <laughs> parts of history that I feel really connected to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like the Holocaust. Like if I walk into a Holocaust museum, I am crying from the moment I walk in the door till I leave. And I am not Jewish. There, And I've always thought like, I have a very weird connection to this. And yeah. so when you said that, I always walk around, I always say, and I'm not joking when I say that, I, I say if there were past lives, I lived during the Holocaust and I lived during slavery. Because these are two moments in history where I really, and I'm not just saying this, like, I really feel like my soul is connected to those people. Does that sound crazy? Yeah, no, not, okay. not at all. Not at all. And I, that's exactly what I was just saying. Like, I, you asked me when you asked the question of like, you know, were you angry? Were you this? Were you that? You know, when you didn't fit in and this and that, and, you know, there was, there's a, a calmness in my soul, in my spirit that goes way beyond my years. And I can't explain it. I can't, until this day, I can't explain it. The fact that I didn't see my father for 16 years. And even though it, it hurt, I never held on to the pain of not having him there. And also I had an amazing mother who never put me in the middle and never tore down my father because of it. Mm-hmm. But I was the one to go and, and reach out and find him because of this deep seated calmness or connection that I have um, to know that, to understand, I should say, to understand that 
you know, he, and this is, and this is my mind as a child, as I'm speaking to you, like, you know, he's going through some stuff in his life where he's not able to be there for me. I, I under, I understand that in this moment in time, like what kind of child thinks like that in their head? What kind of child thinks like that in their head? If they're not an older soul, (laughs) you know? So, um, so when I say that, I feel like I, I come from an era of like Cleopatra, the pharaohs, the shamans, the, the, the wise spirits that have this calmness about them. That, that has always, I feel like has always been innate in my spirit. Because, you know, go, growing up with my mom, you know, being uh, raised, you know, my mom was a child, basically a child raising a child, you know, and going through the life cycle with her and all the different things that we went through, there was, there's still just like a, an easiness about it, a calmness about it that, okay, we're going to be fine. We're going to be okay. We're going to be, I and, and another thing is, I always felt like the protector. I've always felt like the protector of my mother and my sister. Mm-hmm. Like nobody, nobody's going to fuck with my <laughs> family. That has always been in my spirit as well. So when you say that to me, yes, I believe it. I 100% believe it. I can't explain it. <laughs> right, of course, yeah. <laughs> but yes, I do believe it. I'm right there with you. I've been saying that I would say for like about, I would say for like the last 15 years, I, I just, it all, it's just a thought that goes through my brain. Like, yeah, if there's past lives, I've been around for a while. For one, I'm exhausted. And for two, <laughs> like, I mean, I hope this is the last one. Uh, Cause I think, because I read somewhere, I don't know if you've ever read this, but like now you've got me on the past lives conversation, but it's like, you know, you're born and then you, there's certain goals and things you have to learn throughout your time as a, on this earth. And, you know, if you don't figure it out in the first one, you come back and then you don't figure it out. So I hope I've learned all the shit I need to, cause I'm tired. One of my, one of my favorite things of all times is, it's not about the destination, but it's about the journey that matters the most. And I really believe that to be true for all of us. If we could really be present in the journey, because we're going to learn, we're learning everything that we need to know along this journey, but it's, you have to recognize it as it comes through your path. And a lot of people just, they don't recognize it they put blinders on, you know, or you don't, you don't want to learn that lesson. So therefore you keep repeating it. It's going to keep popping up. Yeah. It's it's not going nowhere if you don't deal with it. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. You said, um, you said something that also registered with me. You said that when your dad, you hadn't talked to your dad for 16 years, but you were this little kid and you would, you would say, well, you know, he's got a lot going on. He's got a lot. Like you were this child who was in a, who had this adult brain who was able to process things so much calmly. And I don't know if you know this about me, but I was, um, 
I was molested, raped by my uh, adopted father from like when I was four until I was 15, until I could physically fight back. You know, it, it went from, you know, sexual abuse to physical violence because when I was like, oh yeah, you're not doing that shit no more, then it became very violent. But yeah. there was always uh. something in my head that was always telling me like, Joe, this is not your fault. You know that, you know you're a victim. Even when I was like seven, I, I would always tell myself like, this is wrong, you're gonna be okay, you're gonna get through this, you're, there's the tunnel at the end. And so when you said that about your dad, that's how I, because you know, a lot of people who are raped as children, they spend their entire life thinking it was my fault. Their fault, blaming themselves, yeah. Yeah, I've yeah. met like 40 year olds who were, who had, those types of situations who they're still like, Oh, you know, maybe if I wouldn't have dressed and I'm like, wait a minute, you know, let, let, but you know, but I always had something inside me and I think it's what saved me, but there was always something inside me that was whispering, Joe, you've just got to get over that. You've got to get through this. You're going to come out the end and you're going to be okay. I, I mean, and when, it, when, like you said, it's, you know, are people born with this? Do they learn it? Like, I think it's just a, it's, it's a, it's innate in you. Cause I can't, I can't explain it. You can't explain it. No. God, God, Jesus, you know, um, what you went through, but to know that in your, in your psyche is beyond, right? Yeah. How do you, yeah. No. How do you explain that? Right. Cause you know, when you're like seven, six, seven, like it went, it happened from when I was four to 14, 15. So, you know, that's my development. That's when my brain is mush basically. And it's being created to become who I'm going to be and right. to have that much trauma happen to you, but still be able to say, I'm thank I could have turned out to be like Sybil and had like 50 personalities. Thank God. I just have two, one's normal and one's crazy, but you know, to be able to say to myself at that time, just like you were able to say, you know what, I, I'm not seeing my dad right now, but it's okay because he's going through whatever. You know, I did the same thing. Like, yeah, this is really shitty. What's happening to you? You're seven years old and you can't figure, you can't focus on school, but you will be okay. It's like a higher power, you know, that is like gui guiding you. I mean, it, and, you know, I do believe in guardian angels and, you know, I had lost, um, like I had a godmother who I was really close to um, growing up. And I mean, I do believe in angels, you know, there could be a protection. I mean, again, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know. You know, there, I, there are those people, right, that have the, the wherewithal to, to know that I can survive this. I am going to be okay. Somehow, some way, I'm going to be okay. I mean, and if you go back in history and you think about, you know, I mean, during slavery and, and all the things that, you know, my ancestors, our ancestors have gone through to, to get to where they are today, like there is a deep rooted substance entity that carry, that carries you forward, right? Yeah. They didn't have, you know, back then they didn't have psychiatrists and this and that. They So again, it's innate in your spirit. And I feel like there are, there are those people that have it 
and that can overcome it. And then there are those that it's just so difficult. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Do it at yeah, I used to, I can remember what, like 87, 88, I was like 15, 16. And um, I would watch like Sally, Jesse, Raphael, and all oh, those right, things, her- right? <laughs> <laughs> I just love saying her name. But, um, and she would, they would like Oprah, they would have people on who had been like molested as children, and they were fucked up. Like they were like, they did a, like their lives were just a complete shambles. And I would always look at the TV and think that is not going to happen to me. Right. While I was being molested. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. But you also have to understand, I mean, that, you know, that, I mean, I can't even comprehend that, but I, I mean, something so intense, so evil, right? Like Mm. to, to overcome that is, I don't know how people do it. So I don't either. <laughs> so that I'm you know, one of those people. Yeah. 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 You know, and I can it just, yeah. Maybe yeah. that's why I'm so tired. <laughs> Cause this, I'm about to be 48 and it's been a rough 48 years. No, it hasn't. I'm I just think, kidding. you know, Joe, about for you, it's like you, you're open, you know, you, you're speaking about it. You're, you're helping others, you know, give them a voice to, to process, you know, and I think that that's so important, right? Because there's so many people are hidden in shame about so many things, different things, evil traumatic things that have happened to them that they, they, they don't know how to process it because it's, it's so, it's, it's so damaging to them, to their soul, to their psyche, but to hear others, you know, speak about it, you're, you're helping them. You're giving them a voice. You're showing them that there is light, you know, get, you know, there's light. Move into the light, share your truth, share your story. And that's how we start to heal. Right. Because Look at that. I had no idea. Like we just sit down and have this conversation. I have no idea. I'm going to connect with you on that level. Yeah. Like I know I already love you because I love your sister and I love your mom. Um, but to know that I connect with you on that level now, it almost feels like my heart is, is getting bigger. And I know that sounds silly, but it's true. It's like, Oh, another human being. I've connected with on a certain level that I had no idea. And going back to what you said early, like the first thing you said was, this is what happens when you talk to people. Right. You can, you cannot, I mean, you can, I just, to me, you, 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 if you cannot sit still and really hear someone and listen to their story and not be compassionate and empathetic, like, I don't know like where you come from. You know what I mean? That just means you're right. just I'll, Mississippi. No, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I completely agree with you. I completely agree. I, and see, that's how I have gotten, that's how I've made it to 48 with my history is I have to crack jokes. And my husband and I talk about this all the time. It's my coping mechanism. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he'll say something like, you know, when you crack a joke about being molested, it, it devalues it. 
it devalues your pain. And I'm like, I don't think so. It actually, it shows people this, I'm a human being and this is how I've had to deal with this trauma. I could either right. let it, I could either let it bury me or I could be like, well, you know, I survived it. And I'm the kind of guy that when things are make me uncomfortable or make me anxious, I have to make jokes about it because it kind of right. is like a vent. It releases that how, pressure. And that, right. And that's how you deal with it. It doesn't mean that that's how everybody is going to deal with it, but that's how you deal with it. And at least you're, you're, you know, you're, you're not, it's not stuffed down in you. You're, you're speaking it out, you know, therefore, again, you share your story others hear it and it helps them open up and share their story. They may not tell it in the way that you tell it, but at least mm -hmm. it gives them a voice to start opening up. Right. And I think that's important. That's but the power of storytelling and sharing our stories. I know it's so fascinating. I have a question for you though. So in yeah. February, cause you know, enough about me, <laughs> talk about <laughs> me all damn day. No. Um, <laughs> You know, so Root of Evil came out in, in February of 2019. Correct me if I got the date wrong. How, and it's been, you guys have been nominated for awards. It's incredible. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have not listened to the Root of Evil podcast with Yvette and Rasha, you have to. These two ladies are incredible. Um, we had an incredible director, Zach Levitt, who, like, he is the mastermind. I know, but well, I didn't know that, but what listening to you guys, I would have thought you guys had been on the radio forever. Like that's how professional you guys were. How has your life changed since that podcast has been released that, um, the limited series podcast that was like a companion to I am the night, the TV show based off your mom's book. Yeah. Doing root of evil was, was amazing on so many different levels. Um, first, I would have to say it was amazing because my mother was always a, she was a documentary of her life. So to be able to have the real, true story of the Hodels and the Black Dahlia come out, like she just would have been thrilled. Mm -hmm. um, first and foremost. The second thing is, to hear our family and hear the stories, stories that we had never heard was like mind blowing and cathartic and healing all in one. Number three, the amount of love and support and what we were just speaking about as far as people being able to see themselves in similar situations and not holding on to their shame or their family shame or their family secret. Right. That has been the most rewarding of Root of Evil because Rasha and I on the daily get so many Instagram messages about Facebook messages, just about, you know, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story. You know, God, what a, what a crazy story, <laughs> right. you know. It's pretty fucked up. You know, and 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 you know. By the way, I have this, this, and this in my family, and thank you, thank you guys for, you know, for not being shameful of it and not letting, you know, your family 
secrets define who you are. I am learning that by listening to this story. Mm. So on that respect, full circle, full circle, being of service, telling the story. And that is how our mother raised us. That is how we live our life. So if we can share our crazy ass story, like I hope everyone else can and then move forward and help somebody else. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, right, that's what it's all about. It's like I remember I I saw this in the art museum and it's like it is we the people, not me, myself and I the people. Mm. It is we the people. Let's collectively share our stories so we can help each other grow you know right that that's that's what it's all about and getting people to like email you and message you and connect with you and say like i listen to the show it's incredible wow i had the same like i didn't know about this in my life and that that gives you a sense of wow it mattered it mattered it mattered sitting there for hours and hours recording this podcast because yes. people are connecting yes. to it yes Yes. And, and what is it? And at the end of the day, it's humanity matters. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. And, and, you know, we say it like, it's like humanity, right? Like, yeah, I think so. Because the society has just become so selfish that, you know, when we're sitting here like, yeah, it's about humanity, right? I think so. Yes. That is the right answer. Yeah. It's not about being selfish. Exactly. It's about caring about one another. Period. Period, exclamation mark. Hello. When the podcast, when um, when Root of Evil starts, you and your sister are going through your mom's, um, what is it? Story. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And her death was still, well, I'm sure it's still right there on the tip of your heart, but it was even mm-hmm. more powerful because it had not been long since she passed away. How did you prepare? So you're, you you and your sister, you're very, you guys are like very close. How do you guys prepare yourself? Like, okay, we're dealing with this. We're dealing, mom's passed away. We're getting ready to, we're getting ready to find out shit. We didn't know. How do you prepare yourself for that? You, You don't, you can't, you don't prepare yourself. But what we knew in our hearts is that this was our mother's life mission. Her dream was to share her story, to be of service, to help the world be a better place. As corny as that may sound, that's what our mother was all about. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in the in the midst of our our grief, we knew that we were fulfilling our mother's dream. We were carrying the torch for her. This was her legacy. Um, and she, you know, that's what she did every single day of her life. You know, the loves of her life were Rasha and I mm-hmm. and her story. You know, that was her mission. So, as oh my God, as hard as it was, like, to go from to losing our mom in 2017, September 30th. Mind you, it's on the same day as my husband's birthday. Um, oh, my. We lost my mom. Yeah, that's rough. Um, to, you know, take care of 
everything there, her apartment, everything, and then go a few months later to be on set of I Am The Night and then to do the podcast, uh, you know, for Root of Evil. It was, it was very, um, the word we used all the time was very surreal. Mm-hmm. But in the same breath, it was like she was still, she was still here, you know? So in that sense, it was, it was, I think it was very healing for us because there was so much going on. We didn't, we didn't have time to, even though we cried every single day, I mean, like, like really, really like, I mean, I can't, I didn't even know how I could get up and walk some days, but there was purpose there because this was her mission and we were here to fulfill, to fulfill and finish that mission for her. And you did. Yeah. And we did. And we did. And we will continue to, to fulfill our mother's legacy, you know, of love and kindness and, and joy and paying it forward and being of service because that's, that's who our mother was. And that's what she instilled so deeply in us. My mom, like I, go ahead. No, I was just going to say when I, when I first listened to the podcast in the car, when we were on our road trip, I didn't know you and your sister and I didn't know, you know, I didn't know the whole, I didn't know as much as I do now. Now, if I went back to listen to it, I, I would know that as you are doing this, you are mourning your mom, which makes it even more emotional mm-hmm. because when you're first listening to it, you know, you're listening, you're so wrapped up in the Hodel story. You forget that, you know, Fauna Hodel passed away just recently and the, her daughters who are recording it are in mourning. Did you find, you know, when some, when we lose someone, we mourn it and then we kind of move on, but we never forget in a situation like this, you know, your mom passed away and then you were thrusted into I Am The Night and the podcast. Did you sense like you had two separate mourning periods for your mom's passing? Um, yeah, I, I think there's, yeah, I think, I think more than that. <laughs> there's always going to be more than that because my mom was larger than life. But I think that doing I Am The Night and being on the set and walking into the makeup trailer and seeing pictures of my mom and my dad. And like, it was, it was so, I mean, we cry, I mean, emotional was, I mean, is not even the correct word. It was, it was a combination of everything combined of, you know, my mom's life mission, like, coming to fruition and fuck, she's not here. Right. Right, There's that. Like, my God, like, why is it? Why is my mom not sitting right here? Rasha and I would still be here, but this is my mom's. This is her life. This is her story. Like, why God, why, why would you do that? You know, all that, right. All of that. And then, you know, happy that, you know, Patty, who my mom loved and idolized and and wanted her so desperately to 
to to do the story and she knew that Patty was doing it. Like there was the joy in that, you know, of it happening finally, but then back to God, why is she not here? So it's like every emotion you could possibly imagine. Every emotion. It was like it's like a, a roller coaster of of up and down um, emotions and then dealing with at the same time, because my mom, you know, like you didn't even know my mom and you are inspired by her. Right, yeah. The people that, you know, knew my mom and that, you know, they were close to or a little bit close to, like they, they took it so deeply and so personal. And so for Rasha and I to, to maneuver through all that, it's, it was so hard, so hard. And so there were the highs and the lows, and it was like a, a roller coaster um, of emotions. And um, and it still is. It's like every, I mean, I talk to my mom every single day. Like I'm talking to her about something. I Every night before I go to bed, I say to my husband, God is love, because Every night, my mom would tell me that before I went to bed. Um, it's a when you lose such a powerful light like that, it's it's a never ending um, battle of emotions, and the grief is consistently up and down. And you know, there are people that say, you know, in time, you know, it gets it gets easier. I don't I don't find that to ever be. Uh, I don't find that to ever be true yet, I should say, because my mom was so, especially for for me being with my mom, you know, my mom had me when she was pregnant with me when she was 15. Like I've been with my mom the whole, like the whole time. Right. So I, I remember when we had the celebration of life, for my mom in LA and Patty and I were, were in the bathroom together. And I, I just remember I said, I said, Patty, it's so weird because my mom, you know, her whole life, like, you know, she was on this mission. She was searching for her identity. And at this given moment right now, like I, I can't, I feel like I don't have an identity without my mother being here on the planet. So it took me it took me a long time to like to like find myself again and find my voice because my mom was such a big part and will always be a big part of my life and now I you know I know she's right here with me like guiding me and Rasha every step of the way but it's a it's a it's going to be a lifelong journey lifelong journey. I'm glad you said that because there's nothing worse, even when somebody is trying to be kind and they say, oh, it'll get better. You're like, fuck you. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah, you might have gotten over it in a year, but this is going to be something that I am processing for the rest of my life. And the idea, I never even thought of this, but you, you know, your mom was pregnant with you. You spent 50, you guys could have been sisters almost. And you spent yeah. so much yeah. time with her that after she's yeah. gone, you have this thing of, well, who am I? Yeah. And mind you, I'm, you know, I, 
my mom, you know, my mom was always so very proud of my sister and I because we were strong women. Like, we didn't take shit from anybody. We chose our paths. We did what we wanted to do. We were with who we wanted to be with, you know. So there's that, right? I know I know who I am. I'm Yvette. You know, I'm, I'm beautiful. I'm kind. I, you know, going back to, like I said, from when I was a child, when my mom instilled in me, you're beautiful, you're this, you're that. So there's that strength, right? Right. But then when that, when that, your biggest cheerleader is gone, it's like, whoa, whoa. It's a jolt. It's a jolt to your entire system. Exactly. Exactly. You must have been an amazing older sister. Now I'm even jealous of that. Jesus, see what happens. Oh, I was. I'm a badass sister. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but but Fauna really raised you and Rasha to be. How do I want to say it? Like, um, very strong and to not let people push you around. Like I remember when I talked to your sister about her dad and she shared, and I, that came from left field. I had no idea that was coming. And I just can remember that story. And I just thought, you know, you've got to, you've got, you come from strong beginnings to be able to be like, this is who I am. Fuck off. If you don't like it. Yep. 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 Um, And then to actually, yeah, 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 and I'm not going to share her story again. But you know, her dad did some shitty things, and for her to be like, "Fuck off" or whatever, you know, yeah. you know, so you're you're coming from really strong upbringings where somebody has instilled into you, do not let people da- hurt you or damage you. No, no, I love that. No, do not let anybody push you around, and if you don't want to, if you don't want to be around them. You know what I mean? No drama. Right. Bye. You know, I, I know it's so bizarre, but I really do feel connected to you and your sister and your mom. And I've never met you guys in person, but just talking and reading your mom's story, you, all three of you are inspirations for everyone. So I want to thank you. you for coming on this podcast because I was really oh. nervous talking to you <laughs> because I remember Rasha telling me, Yvette don't take shit from nobody. And I thought, Oh my God, if I fuck up this interview, I am never, I'm just going to have to just move out of the country. I'm leaving. She's, I'm like, cause I remember Rasha was like, Yvette doesn't fuck around. She doesn't let, like, she will tell you. And I was just like, Oh my God. So this morning I was like, don't think about it. Don't think about it. It's just a conversation with Yvette. You actually, Joe, you know, almost everything about her. <laughs> so you have done your homework. So Yvette, I want to thank you for coming on and having this conversation uh-huh. with me. Cause I do think you are a wonderful human being, you and your sister and your mom. Oh, Joe, and I, you know, we feel the same about you. And I, I thank you for, you know, your honesty and your kindness and your laughter. And, you know, you are a joy to the world. And I thank you for being you. Well, I agree with everything you just said. <laughs> Before I let you go, though, I want to play my my game. Let's get grounded. So um, okay. it's a question game. So you pick a number between one and 100, and then I'll ask you the question that falls on that number. Okay. You ready? Yes. 21, baby. 21, baby. All right. 
If you could have dinner with any famous person, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. That, gets, that question gets everyone. That question, because there's, there's so many. Oh, my gosh. I, I, so the, I have to, I'm just going to go with the first thing that came to my mind. Okay. She is alive. And it's Alicia Keys. <gasps> I love Alicia Keys. Okay. I love her okay. spirit. I love her integrity. I just love how she connects people, the world together. Her energy is just beyond. So she was the first person because my husband always says, oh, my God, you guys would be like best friends. So first thing that came to mind was Alicia Keys. Well, can I tell you? Before I called you, I was listening to her new album because she inspires me to be the best that I can be. Aww. So, hello, when you just said Alicia Keys, uh, my, I got a, like, Aww. I got a stomach ache because I thought, does she know that how much I love Alicia Keys? Because we were on vacation a couple weeks ago, maybe a month ago, and her new album came out. And mm -hmm. I was obsessed, and I am obsessed with it still. The songs on there will give you so much courage and strength to be who you are. And then I listened to her audiobook, and she really, you know, I always used to color my beard. I, I colored my beard because I'm self conscious, and I want other people to not think that I'm about to turn 48. I want them to think maybe I'm 36. Um, right? Let me give you a little piece of advice. Age ain't no thing. It's not. Age, it's hard to, it's hard to accept no. that though. It's so hard. So I was always, <laughs> I always color my beard always. And my husband's always like, you know, I love you just the way you are. You don't have to do this. And I used to mm -hmm. always say to myself, I'm doing it for me. I'm doing it for me. I don't care what other people think. And then I was listening yeah. to Alicia Keys read her book. And she talked about how when she stopped wearing makeup, she did it because she, she was tired of having to wear makeup and having to put on a show for people. And right. now, right. right. And now she wears makeup sometimes, but she it's on her own agenda. She wears it when she wants and she doesn't give a fuck. Right. It's on her terms. Right. Yeah, exactly. So when I got home, I was like, you know what? I ain't going to color my beard anymore. And it's been a month. And I have to tell you, every time I look in the mirror, I cry a little because I'm like, you look like you're a thousand. But I'm being true to myself. I'm trying to be true to myself. And that's what I get from Alicia Keys. I'm, glad, I'm so glad you said Alicia Keys. That's... I love her. I just have to tell you a quick story. So yes. I have always been an extreme fan of Maxwell. Love me some Maxwell. I was in New York. And this is years, years, years ago. And Alicia Keys opened for Maxwell, which her very first um, is in uh, Central Park. Okay. Her very first album. And she was like, I mean, she was amazing then. And she was authentically herself then. And fast forward to where we are now. She is still authentically herself, but is so the the wisdom when I speak about wisdom that she possesses beyond. Yes, absolutely, beyond. absolutely. Have you read her book? No, I have to get it, I, and I will. I will order it actually today. As soon as I hang up with you, 
in order. Okay, yeah, I um, I listen, I listen to the audiobook, and she, of course, she reads the book. So you get so much more. If you like audiobooks, I recommend listening to hers because she okay. sings throughout it. She, you know, she gives her, you know, when she's reading it, it. it it's so true because she has, she emphasizes certain words. It was just, I'm obsessed with her. So I can't believe, I cannot believe you said Alicia Keys. That is the best way to end this conversation because now I feel like the world is right. Right? <laughs> and, and, I, and it just meant, it means that this is all meant to be. It, do, are you, are you someone who believes that things happen for a reason? 100%. Me too. So 100%. Me too. 100%. Yeah. When, I, when I first met my husband, we've been married 15 years together, 16, and he's nine years younger than me. So when we came into the relationship, I was slightly a little bit wiser about life. Mm -hmm. Like he's mm -hmm. smarter. He's book smarter than me, but I have those nine years of experience <laughs> that he'll never from get. The, from the street smart. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, um, I used to tell him, like, if something was happening, I would always tell him, like, it, everything works out. Everything will work out. Everything happens for a reason. It's going to work out. And he was always like, I don't know where you're coming from with this. I, and I said, listen, I survived being molested. Everything works out. And now to this day, like, if something gets crazy, we'll look at each other and he'll be like, it's going to work out, right? I'm like, of course, it always works out. Sometimes it's a bumpy road. Sometimes you think, holy shit, Donald Trump's president, we're all going to die, but it's going to work mm -hmm. out. It's going to work out because my girl Kamala Harris is going to be VP and I'm a very happy man. Right. That's yeah, right. It's all it's all, and out. it's really about divine timing. It's always going to work out. Always. I wanted to say one more thing about that photo that is on my Instagram page where my hair is all wild. Oh, and yeah. And I'm, uh, you know, when I was, the, I reposted the poem that uh, Grace did. Mm -hmm. And there's a funny story behind it because remember I was saying that I was, I was so disappointed because I was not fitting in, you know, I was not exotic enough. I was not black enough. Or there are times where, oh, well, she's, she's too black, you know whatever it may be. But there was this time and I was 16 when that photo was taken and I wow. happened to be at sister's fair. She went to the Waldorf school in new Valley in Hawaii. And we were just walking through the fair and this gentleman came up to my mother and asked if he could take photos of me and guess who it was. It was Paul Mitchell. <laughs> Paul, the original, not John Paul Mitchell. But the original Paul Mitchell saw something in me and he wanted to photograph me for Italian Vogue. And so he did, in that photo, mm -hmm. he did my hair and he did my makeup. And those photos, like, they live on till this day. And it just goes to show that, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? Absolutely. Someone so is always going to see something in you. So I, I'm, I went back to look at the, while you're telling this um, story, I'm, I went back to look at this photo. You were 16 years old. I was 16. 16. Wow. I thought you were at least in your like early twenties. No, 16. Yeah. 16. And when I originally started modeling, I was 11 and it was my, my grandmother at the time who, 
said, oh, my God, you know, you're so exotic. And, and I, my grandmother on my mom's side, Tamar, who we met in Hawaii, she's like, you're so exotic and you should be photographed. And I was photographed at 11 by a very famous photographer, Gil Gilbert, who worked for Paul Brown. And Paul mm. Brown had like many salons in um, Hawaii and San Francisco. And I did these photos, uh, posters for their, their salon. And I looked like I was 11. And I looked like I was 25, 28 years old. Yeah, I'm shocked that you were six. I would have never guessed. And that's kind of a scary thing because I'm looking at this photo and I'm thinking, oh, she's got to be age appropriate. She's got to be over 18 and you're not. No, no, wow. I'm not. Well, thank, God, thank God I'm gay. I had, no. I, had a, <laughs> I had a tube or I had a swimsuit top on, you know. Um, but it just, it just goes to show, you know, just, you know, never give up, you know, don't second guess yourself because someone is always going to see something in you, you know, and, and as you grow older, you will see it in yourself. That's such a great lesson. And I'm kind of going through this thing right now where I'm in, I am having, um, how, how do I say it? Like I usually color my beard and I've stopped. And so I'm going through that where I'm like, oh, everyone's going to think I'm hideous, but I really need to stop because th that's just neg it's, it's wasted energy. Yeah, It's wasted energy. It's Someone can be looking at you going, oh my God, he looks so distinguished. I love that, you know, salt and pepper look or what, however your beard looks. So it's like, just live out loud, live out live loud. <laughs> <laughs> I love that story. I, at first I thought it was Paul Mitchell, the guy who, um, the hair stuff, like the shampoo, but that's John Paul Mitchell. Well, am I correct? That, well, that's John Paul Mitchell, but Paul Mitchell is the, he was the originator of, of the shampoo. And then when he passed away, then I think it got sold and, and uh, I don't know what, but Paul Mitchell, I mean, the original Paul Mitchell, the OG, created, the OG, the OG. Baby, when I, he was yeah, he was an amazing man, and it was just such a great experience to um, uh, to to be accepted. And again, with my hair, that's another thing too. With my hair, like growing up, like I was fine with everything else. I was tall, long legged, you know, kind of awkward. But my hair, like I hated to do my hair, mm -hmm. <laughs> and my mother. Yeah. Mother was never, never very good at my hair. And my father, I do remember one argument years ago, one of the first trips that we went to Hawaii and we came back and I was in and out of the ocean all the time. And I don't comb my hair. My mom is not the best, but she would comb over the tangles. And I remember my mother and father getting into this massive argument over my hair. My dad was just livid that my <laughs> mom had my hair like this. So he took me. As soon as like I got off the plane, I remember him coming and getting me and taking me to the salon, and like I was in there for hours and mm. hours. <laughs> hours. They thought I had gum stuck in my hair, and it was just tangled. Oh, they thought you had gum in your hair, and it was just knots. It was just knots. Oh my god, you poor thing. Oh no, I actually when I had hair, which was decades ago i used to use paul mitchell that was the shampoo that i used so yeah when you said his name i'm like i know who i know what that is i know what that is yeah. <laughs> that's who it was so anyhow 
just a little tidbit for you. Well, thanks for sharing <laughs> that story because I love stories. So that's perfect. Aw, awesome. Well, oh, on that note. Thank you so much. Please let everyone know how they can follow you. If you want them to follow, if you don't, be like, I don't need you people following me. Because that's how I feel sometimes. But please let everyone know where they can find you, right? Exactly. No, they can find me. I'm on Instagram, just solely on Instagram, YWBlend. That's it. Why? Blend. What's the blend from, may I ask? Well, I, growing up in Hawaii, they used to call me Island Tropical Blend because nobody really knew what I was. So. My email used to be islandtropicalblend at hotmail.com. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that sentence like, alone is amazing. That's a little long. So. <laughs> YW Blend. YW. So it's Yvette, and then my, my, you know, my last name, my father's last name was Ward, so I haven't changed it. Um, so it's YW Blend. So. Wonderful. Yvette, you yeah. are... You are Truly an inspiration, and I'm glad you came on the show, and thank you for chatting with me. I loved it. I did as well, Joe. Thank you, and mahalo, and Ma have a beautiful day. Mahalo to you, too, and your family and your Italian husband who fixes shoes. <laughs> I didn't know that was coming either. I was like, yeah. that's incredible. All right, you take care, and I'll talk to you soon. All righty. All right, bye, bye, sweetie. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Grounded with Joe Thomas, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast. You can also follow the Instagram page at Grounded with Joe Thomas on, you guessed it, Instagram. Tell all your friends and we will see you next episode.